jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out Time no longer has meaning. Am I right? Or am I right? <laughs> Time is a, a vast abyss. I just, I don't know. Like I said to you before we started recording, recording this show is the only structure I have in my week now. It's the only thing that goes on my calendar. Why do I have a calendar <laughs> anymore? Yeah, see, you used to make fun of me that I didn't buy a new date planner every year, that I've been using the same date planner for three years. Who's laughing now? Hmm? Now that the numbers don't matter, the words don't matter, none of it matters. What the fuck did I buy this giant Grecian sundial for that's in my backyard? (laughs) I don't even need that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Or my Stonehenge. My God. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, all, well, the, the, all the druids are like, oh, what? <laughs> what is time? Well, and now for some reason, we, we used to record, unless there were extenuating circumstances, we used to record this show on Saturdays. Now, for some reason, we record on Fridays. <laughs> so that just makes everything even more bizarre because, <laughs> like, just nothing computes. Nothing computes at all. Every day is 10 days long. Yeah, yeah. Every week is at least a month. This yeah. is, we're almost at the month. No, we're, I'm at, well, I think I'm on day 22 right now actively, which will be several days behind count from yeah, when this episode actually airs. Uh, so we're near in that month mark. Can you believe it? I, I mean, is it still March? It's I think we're so. just we're forever March like it's twenty the twenty twenty thirty fifth yeah twenty twenty isn't a thing it's twenty March like it's just this whole period is gonna be March and As, I refi- I'm not fuck your Gregorian calendar bullshit it's all March from now on baby <laughs> well fuck my sundial <laughs> fuck that sundial. <laughs> As a person born in March and an Aries, I just have to say we really should have planned this better because if we Aries pretend to be the best sign, no, if we say we're the best, if we know we're the best sign, we could have planned this better. How are you the best sign? We're number one, baby. We're the first sign in the um, series of signs. And we're really good at um, making plans. And then, Well, also, like, you know... (laughs) leeches were the first medical apparatus <laughs> doesn't mean they were the best uh listen i'm covered in them actively <laughs> yeah. they are they are draining the ichor from my humors uh, yeah. yeah if i could just get my humors in order that's what you got to do you got to find that perfect humor medley align your humors align your humors hmm. remember good, good advice it's what it's your bile it's your blood, <laughs> it's your <laughs> urine, and your witch sauce. 
Tastes like ranch. <laughs> oh, oh, Newman's own face on it. <laughs> yeah. Newman's own witch sauce. Newman's own witch sauce. Mm. Tastes like ranch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And we're back. We're back. Uh, we did a movie this time after our question extravaganza bonanza <laughs> okay the movie podcast at the apocalypse we did a movie this time i know well it feels like it should be uh applauded honestly that i've watched something i i feel very excited to have watched something um i think it is applause worthy i will say i loved our lottery question lottery listener ball lottery bonanza extravaganza um and i'm already seeing the flack on the Twitters that people are shocked to find out that one Madam Stacy Ponder is not actually, in fact, one Madam Briefcase Woman. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and I said to myself, first of all, any of us should be so lucky as to actually be Briefcase Woman. This is true. It's However, lesson. also, on the other hand, do I come across as so dreadfully uncool? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not cool, that's fine. But do you think I'm briefcase woman levels of uncool? <laughs> I think it's more a question of, does someone think you're clip art? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh my god, you actually are the potato manager from that failed Skype call. That's Zoom true. Meeting. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is, I've always said, like, that I just want to be perceived as a box full of haunted cassette tapes. Haunted. Haunted. (laughs) So I I guess that I can't be surprised when people project their own images on me. And they see a picture of a woman, and they say, that must be her. (laughs) Who else could it be? No, I'm an inanimate object, not an anthropomorphic inanimate object. Exactly. Thank you very much. If Representation you, matters. If you thought I was the briefcase, I would find that more appropriate than briefcase. Like, I just, I mean, I, you know, I love briefcase woman. But I look at the picture and I say, really, though? <laughs> you're the briefcase. You're like the, you're like a talk, you're like the can of beans in Wet American yeah. Summer that Chris Maloney talks to. Mm-hmm. I, I was shocked and a little appalled. And then I'm like, well, I mean, you know, you're not cool, Stacey. Like, I know that. I'm a little cooler than Briefcase Woman. Yeah, you're you're somewhere um, past briefcase woman, but just before potato manager. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if no one has seen potato manager, check out uh, Stacy posted it on Facebook. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, it's so good. Yeah. So I saw uh, that. That was uh, uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, take what you can get in this day and age. Hmm. I guess. You know. It's nice to know someone was thinking of me. <laughs> there, how's that? Is that positive spin? There you go. <laughs> that sounds completely sincere. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I 
feel the degradation creeping in. Thank you, anyone, for listening. No kidding. I mean, I say that even under normal circumstances. Now more than ever, thank you. Because I know uh, the quality is certainly lacking. (laughs) We also, however, know that none of you have anything else to do. Except except for our listeners who are the healthcare workers and the grocery store workers and the all the people on the front lines. Which yeah. we got we got some messages from some of you on Twitter too, and it was really cool. So thanks yeah. for doing what you're doing. Keep it up. Yeah, no kidding. Right. I, I mean that's like for me, like we were discussing the traumas of going outside to purchase an ice cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't feel safe going to buy ice cream. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people who are like working in a hospital are like, really, bitch? Like, yeah, yeah, getting Corona splashed in their faces as our gay asses are talking about <laughs> potatoes and briefcases and sundials. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, I, you know, it's where every, the thing is, everybody's worried, you know, it's just. Uh, there are levels, and I feel like perspective is helpful. And if you do venture into a store to buy some ice cream or whatever, like, fucking be cool, you know? Like, be nice to the people who are working, who have to go to work every day and are literally risking their health and well-being. Carl, I tipped the lady at the Baskin-Robbins. That's her name. Um, I I gave her like just a twenty dollar tip, like it was like oh, six yeah. times the cost of my ice cream, and I was like, thank you so much. Yeah, like if you're getting delivery or whatever, like tip, 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 tip. Yeah, you people. gotta have the biggest smile on your face. I judge gotta... bad tippers every oh, day of the year. Every absolutely, year. even if the service is terrible, you gotta tip you respectfully. Gotta tip. And now give them ten bucks, twenty bucks. Yeah, give them, just double whatever you're paying for your Amazon.com ice cream cake uh, dildo (laughs) face mask. (laughs) It's like, what Swiss Army contraption is that? Hey, it's good. You know what? Taking care of all my needs at once. Here we go. All the needs, all the holes. All the holes are full? So that is our sincere thanks to the workers on the front lines. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, these are sobering times. Does it still feel weird to be like, okay, so we watched a movie. Now let's just talk about the movie. (laughs) Yeah. As if thousands of people are dying outside. Mm Mm-hmm. And we haven't become bunker people. Yeah. As the sirens, like, the, there's a lot of sirens here. I mean, there's always a lot of sirens because I live, like, two blocks from a fire department. And oh, yeah. Maybe not even a mile, probably, from two, like, a, a hospital one way is a mile and a hospital another way is, like, a mile. So there's a, usually a lot of sirens, but there's been so many sirens lately. Do you, I mean, they're a menace. Do you put, do you put wax in your shipmate's ears and then um, tie yourself to the ship mast? Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I am. <laughs> Sorry, I've, yes. been, I've been reading Circe and they mentioned the sirens. <laughs> yes, life on my houseboat, my downtown houseboat has been very difficult. 
somewhere in the distance, Adele Hanel is um, trying to fend off the suitors and, and weaving. <laughs> <laughs> weaving and unweaving. She's not going to fend me off, I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah, those sirens, those sirens do like to make an appearance on this show. They're an unofficial sponsor. They- <laughs> yeah, they are. Oh, God. <laughs> it just really throws it all into stark relief as I'm like make it a fart joke and there go the sirens like to save someone's life you know and i'm like i'm tired today fart noise noise. (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i don't know (laughs) it's good to know one's place (laughs) i don't know this is you know we had we used to have the bef- like it was sobering even in the before times the right? long long ago but now this is a new reality like it's a whole new modality baby yeah i don't know how long we're going to be mired in this and who knows what kind of world we will emerge into yeah Anyway, so this week, (laughs) (laughs) as we step over the existential void like a crack in the sidewalk. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. I know, you know, well, here's the problem is that I'm repelling into that void every day. Like the ladies (laughs) of the descent. There I go. Don't you mean spelunking into the void? I guess you repel into it, too. Does repel require a wall off of which, like, to interact with to repel? Or did they repel as they lowered themselves? As they, hold on, descended. (gasps) I feel like repel might require a a wall or a surface. I think you're correct. Yeah. 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 And the the repel really wouldn't have been a different film with that title. (laughs) Yeah. Also, listeners... Don't tell me, okay? I can look it up. (laughs) You're going to get 18 messages. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Save it. Save it for your uh, Eastern Mountain Sports manager. Whatever. (laughs) Leave me alone. Anyway. (laughs) Save it for Barbara. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah. So we... uh, well, we watched a movie this week. We watched a movie. We have been in weird mood. If you can't tell, we have been in weird moods. I mean, we're all experiencing one collective weird mood. And we have also, Stacey and I, I mean, we've talked about this on the last several episodes. We're not in like a big horror mood. No. Um, that said, we are doing Gaylords of Darkness today. We are not doing Gaster Peace Theater. Um, so we are discussing a film that fits in the vibe of this show. Um, but we've been we've been wanting movies that are more, uh, I think, good. Correct me. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Good. Uh, classic. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, that have a, a, a vibe of uncertainty, I think, that kind of matches the sense of uncertainty we're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this is a great excuse for me to get some film school education (laughs) so yeah i mean i you know not to overblow things but i feel like your life has changed a little in the last few weeks not not because of the obvious even but 
Oh, I have never been this hydrated. I've been drinking the flat water. I've been reading book after book after book. And I have been watching every movie Stacy's ever told me to watch. <laughs> I know. You got to listen to Grandma from the Granted, Grandma. all of these things Granny P has told me to do. Drink the flat water instead. <laughs> 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 Try reading a book, you dumb dumb. <laughs> And it's great. My body has never felt better. My body feels as, and my mind feel as expanded as um, my exterior world is not. Mmm, I see. How ironic. Mm-hmm. It's wow. an open clinch scenario. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah, so we just, I mean... Uh, it's so strange because, you know, the great value slashers, which were such a nice escape, and I loved our time with them, but now the idea of watching a slasher movie, great value or not, I say, well, maybe it's because it feels more like you realize how precious time is now, right? Yeah, when you're when you're sitting there and, and you're actively hearing the sirens and then we're reviewing Titty Slasher 8. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, Titty Slasher Four is one thing, but Titty Slasher Eight is like the quality was just not there, you know? Right there with you. Yeah, but yeah, it just feels like okay, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic. People are dying. Life is short and precious. Let's watch maybe. some good shit. Let's watch some good shit, maybe, right? But, I mean, whatever the thing is, whatever works for you, works for you. That's cool. I'm not saying everybody has to do this. I'm saying this is my personal feelings. The point is, this for this week we watched Don't Look Now, a movie that's come up plenty of times on this show. And oh. Anthony always says, I've never seen it. Well, I've never seen it. Why does no one go to the bathroom with these movies? Exactly. <laughs> well, now... Uh, I bet you're going to be singing a different tune. You know, I am, and I do actually have to say in response to Cantankerous Kathy that just came out of me, people do go to the bathroom in this film. That's how influential this movie is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This ha that's how much this film bucks the trends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I finally, I finally checked out Don't Look Now, and you know what I have to say? Oh, boy. I hated it. Absolutely hate. I love this movie. It was okay, phew. <laughs> I know you're you like you fooled me. You fooled me. <laughs> Did you freak out? I for a second. I had my drink to my lips, <laughs> and I felt my eyes get real big. I was like, oh fuck. Oh, I wish we could have gotten a spit take. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. hear your microphone flood. Yeah. Um, no, I I this movie. What a vibe. Right up there with the vibe I have been seeking. because, And I have been saying this. I have been seeking the Hanging Rocks. I have been seeking the, the Petra von Kants. I am seeking just that existential, foreboding, mystery, dread, what is happening, when do I get to leave my house <laughs> vibe. And this yeah. movie, this movie's got it in spades, baby. And... Yeah. All I have to say is, Julie Christie, what, motherfucker? I mean, right? Oh, my God. I need to see every Julie Christie film now. I've only seen her otherwise as far as I, like, unless, except for maybe some more modern things. 
the only like classic thing and it's not even that good that i can think of that i've seen her in really is like fahrenheit 451 like the mm. um, i think it's truffaut version wow yeah Oh, I've seen uh, Dr. Zhivago that Julie Christie was in. I've never seen the Demon Seed where she, like, has sex with a computer or something. You'd yes. think that would be my number one movie of all time. But... I mean, <laughs> Demon Seed starring television's Julie Christie. <laughs> Speaking of internet fingers. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, I mean, even if Julie Christie never spoke a word in this movie, I mean, that face, that hair. Oh, that hair. That that all her beige and brown tweed and, and uh, tight patterns and those little shoulder bumps. They're not uh, even shoulder pads. They're shoulder bumps. And, <laughs> oh, the way that she wears that tweed shoulder mm-hmm. bumped micro pattern um blazer with that black turtleneck oh the black turtle the black turtleneck was everything (laughs) it always is but on julie christie come on i mean oh the 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 bland brown fashions of this movie could not be more stylish and fashionable for being as british uh oxford professorial they yeah. are. <laughs> like, yeah. It like, makes you appreciate the splashes of color though. Like, yes, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's like it's like it's like Giles, but make it fashion. <laughs> it's really And amazing. here I thought that you were going to say Donald Sutherland's bottom. His <laughs> bare bottom. <laughs> you know, I will I, I've always enjoyed Donald Sutherland. I love him. Um, something, something about him just like I get the vibe that he's a really good person, mm-hmm. uh, and I think part of that is just because I love him so much as the dad in Pride and Prejudice, but um, <laughs> with Kira Knightley. But uh, yeah, I just get the vibe that he's a really good guy, and he's so um, he plays like an actually like he has an aggro moment or two in the movie, but he like plays a supportive partner and husband and father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did, I mean, speaking of his bottom, I did appreciate it. I did appreciate that he, I never, like, for being such a gigantic, foreboding, intense man in this movie, um, he has a, he has a little twink energy that he brings to the role (laughs) with that little (laughs) tiny body. Professorial, yet twinky. I see. It's a very so, specific vibe. Yeah, it's a very specific vibe. So that's my review of Don't Look Now. I see. Shoulder Here's bumps. my review. <laughs> Here's my review. My review is a question. Can you believe he's wearing a wig in this movie? I can. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I do a function in the wig see. world. So I'm, I'm used to studying a hairline and saying, oh, girl. <laughs> You forgot to contour up. (laughs) (laughs) I see. But no, I actually, no, I, um, I was shocked to find that out because Jason, you know how Jason, when we watch movies, Jason starts talking midway through. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I've like, as we were nearing the climax of the film, I was informed that that was in fact a toupee. Which I just, do... just when you want the pop up video, right? yeah, it's like yeah, the pop up video to say that's a toupee, <laughs> like during the most intense part of the film. <laughs> Is Julie Christie gonna die? Oh, that's a 
much you pay. Thank you. Oh, phew. I can rest assured. (laughs) But then I couldn't stop staring at it, at, at, at the hairline of it. I see. Well, you know I'm easily fooled by wig technology, so. You are. I never notice. I really am. I'm always, uh, wigs delight me. You love even those Halloween Town wigs. I love a wig. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you liked this. I I thought it would fit the vibe of what we're feeling. It really does. It is. Um, I mean, just looking at my notes, I one of the first things I said in all caps was so much tension and foreboding just through glances, the memory of grief and establishing shots. Mm hmm. And I mean, that's the vibe of this whole movie. I, I have to say something that you said that our friend Heather said, who we were FaceTiming with before we recorded this. Um uh, something Jason said, what I have heard from everybody was like, oh, the don't let it get spoiled for you. Don't read anything about it. Don't, you know. So I had the sense that there was like some massive twist. And the whole time I was waiting like, oh, Julie Christie did it or Donald Sutherland did mm. it. Or, you know, I was expecting some wacky twist where actually he's dead now and M. Night Shyamalan made the movie. And and then, um, I mean, we'll get to... Obviously, listeners, if you're going to listen to this episode, here's our disclaimer, as usual. If you haven't seen Don't Look Now, watch Don't Look Now and then listen. Mm-hmm. Because, like Stacy said, you really don't want anything about this movie spoiled for you. Especially right. the ending. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, when we get to that ending... <laughs> like, I expected something way different. I loved what it ended up being. Yeah. Um... But I, I was like, oh, it's almost like that ending is really an after, like, it's almost like an epilogue to the entirety of the rest of the mystery and just vibe and mood of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the movie is more so just about this sense of, of foreboding and in, in the in the face of all this mundanity that you experience in the movie. And then you get this wacky ending that also is wonderful with it. Yeah, the whole thing is like, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. Um, Or at least not dialogue that's going to explain anything. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's all like images that echo one another and flash forward and flash back and time crisscrossing. And you kind of never really know where you are in it. And it's all very disorienting. Um, but it's all sort of cloaked in a palpable feeling of doom and dread and like yeah. inevitability, basically. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think, obviously one of the major themes of it. But um, it's based on a short story by Daphne du Maurier. Um, I freaked out when I saw that in the in the those beautiful blue italic simple credits. Yes, yeah. Um, who was also responsible for the story of the birds and Rebecca, Rebecca. the Hitchcock uh, films. Um, but the last I have the short story. It's 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 mostly the same. There are some minor differences um, that were done for the sake of it being a movie and not being a short story. Um, but the last line of the story is John's thought, and his thought is, oh, God, what a bloody silly way to die. Oh. <laughs> 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 
that's so perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I was immediately dying to read this story. Yeah. Um, the second it was over, I I love that. So that is that is all retained in the or in the movie from the story. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean that that weird. ending. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like it's it's like how um, Christine died kind of thing and what like in the book she dies from meningitis and then they are on vacation together in venice okay and so those changes kind of make sense like yeah because visually the like the transposing of the girl in red running by the pond right yeah versus the well, running down the canals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Filmically, it makes a lot more sense to just do it like that. Yeah, and it's more impactful to have the death be an accident and then guilt and grief come into it. But then it's like, if she had that kind of death, you wouldn't say like, oh, and then they took a nice vacation to Venice. Like, they have a reason to go to Venice now. Yeah, it makes so. a lot more sense. But other than that, it's basically the same. So. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I mean, the only problem with the story would be that Julie Christie isn't actually the MVP itself. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, let's be real. Julie Christie is the motherfucking MVP of this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, one would argue Donald Sutherland is the star. However, the true star. The star of my heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure, and, for sure. And when we talk about tension and foreboding and dread, 95% of that in this film, 99.9% of that for me experiencing it was Please, God, don't let anything happen to Laura. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she good. must be protected at all costs. Yeah, yeah. She's like Denise Richards in real life right now. <laughs> like, protect her, God. <laughs> I love Laura. Wow. Um, <laughs> What's this movie about for our listeners that haven't seen it and refused to watch it first? <laughs> Those assholes don't deserve to listen. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully most of our listeners have already seen this film, right? I feel like, I feel like ev- most people have seen this. Exactly. I feel like you were the last holdout. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a classic. So uh, we uh, it begins, we have the Baxter family who is at their home out in the countryside. We have John and Laura are the parents, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. Their two children, Johnny and Christine. Uh, Christine is about five, six years old and she's playing out back by the pond um, John suddenly gets a strange feeling and runs outside only to find that she has fallen in the pond and drowned. Um, then we flash forward some amount of time, some months at least, and John and Laura are in Venice. Their son Johnny is away at boarding school and they are in Venice. John is there to help restore a church, specifically some of the artworks and the statuary and the mosaics. Um, and they're, you know, happy enough together. They clearly love each other very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some evidence for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're just like, it's not one of those stories where immediately, like, like how many movies have we seen where the child dies and then. Oh, it's hereditary, right? Like, yeah. The couple is torn apart, basically. But these yeah. two seem to be doing okay. Um, there's Yeah, this is not that. Right. Laura has needed medication in the past, and she's been depressed, but they're getting through it. Um, they are out to lunch one day, 
and they come across these two sisters. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wendy and Heather, who are tourists in the area. Um, Heather is blind and also has some psychic abilities. She has the second sight. She has. She might not have the first sight, but she's got the second one. <laughs> um, so through a series of strange events, um, the they end up all like Heather and Wendy and Laura all end up in the bathroom together. And Heather says to Laura, you know, you look so sad, but don't be sad. I, basically, I saw your daughter sitting with you and your husband at the table and she was laughing and she was happy and she wants you to know that she's happy and laura is transformed by this and finds such comfort and solace in this that her daughter is okay basically and she goes back to tell john well first she faints um at the table but uh, she tells John that she feels like a weight has been lifted and she feels wonderful. You know, John, however, is completely dubious. He's the sort who's, you know, if you can't see it, then it's not like then you have no proof of it. He's that sort of fellow. Although uh, Heather says that John's got a bit of the old second sight himself and he doesn't know it or he's afraid of it. Hence John's... Um sense that something was up with his daughter in the pond right earlier yes there are little glimpses of him having strange feelings and deja vus and all that sort of thing um laura wants to basically have a bit of a seance with the two ladies um who are reluctant but eventually agree to it um laura goes to their hotel room and heather starts to have give a reading and it's really disturbing um it's also kind of it's also comedic the scene because she's having like she's making like orgasmic sounds basically as she's kind of having convulsions and like rending her breast and all of this yeah she's feeling herself up as she does it all yeah yeah but the sound and then john goes to find them to stop it and uh he ends up outside of their hotel like hotel door and he is spotted and they think he's a peeping tom um, and they, the other people in the hotel run him off. But the, the big takeaway from the seance is that Heather tells Laura that John's life is in danger while they're in Venice and they have to leave Venice. And so Laura, you know, takes her at her word and implores John, like, let's get out of here. This, and, you know, he's no, those women are crazy. Those women are crazy. Stop this madness. Uh, eventually, Laura is called away. They get a phone call that Johnny, their son, has had an accident at school and he'll be fine. He has like a little concussion, but it would be great if the parents could come and be with him. Uh, Laura leaves to go. She catches a flight to go be with her son while John stays behind. Uh, and then when he is working, well, I guess bef- is it before that or after that, when he has the little accident at work. After it's after the it's women, after. it's after the women have said like yeah, that's what happens. Laura leaves. Uh, she catches a flight, goes to be with her son, and then while John is in the church at work, he's up high on some scaffolding, and the rope oh. breaks, and the scaffolding falls, and he's hanging on by a rope, and it's very it appears that his life is actually in danger. 
after a fucking wood plank has flown off and crashed through a piece of glass above him and then broken the road. Like, there's so many Final Destination moments in that setup. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also really interestingly edited because, like, the plank falls... But And you know that it's, like, headed for John, but then there's, like, a long period where it's not falling. Like, yeah. and, like they play with time in this movie wonderfully, and it's really disorienting. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's exemplified in that scene, I think. Um, so John, after having a narrowly escaped death, basically, goes outside to get some air, and he sees a barge go by on one of the canals. And lo and behold, on the barge are Laura... And the two sisters. John calls after them. They don't hear. They keep on chugging down the canal. But John is like, what the heck? I thought my wife left. What's she doing here? (laughs) What's she doing with those two broads? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he becomes very concerned. Um, He tries to find the sisters and can't find them because when he returns to their hotel, they are gone because they were told that there is a peeping Tom. Uh, who's been spying on them. And so they are afraid for their own safety. And so they have Mm. moved hotels. So John goes to the police and says, you know, these women, I don't know. They've got my wife, blah, blah, blah. The detective isn't super helpful because, first of all, he sees the sisters walk by the window. And Laura is not. He just stares at them. Laura's not with them. He's not overly concerned. But a bigger concern is the fact that there is a serial killer. Uh, who is operating in Venice. And we don't have any insight into the investigation or anything like that. It's just really background noise. Yeah, and occasionally there's a sign that says Venice in peril. Right. Yeah. In the streets. Yeah. That's it. Or, you know, John and Laura will be out for a walk and come around a corner and there's, you know, the police have found another body. Like that yeah. sort of thing. But it's not an active part of, like, John and Laura's story. Yeah, it's it's almost like just as in the background as the idea of their kid being at boarding school, which you kind of find out like halfway through the movie. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You might like... even you might even forget that the serial killer is a thing. But it exactly. does add to this sort of like Venice in this is very foreboding, very creepy. It's it's the end of the season. The hotel that John and Laura were staying at is like everything is covered in sheets because they're closing up for the winter season. The tourists are basically all gone. The city's shutting down. It's damp and it's dark and it's all alleyways and there's hardly any sunshine. And it's just a really terrifying place. Yeah, I find. Rats swimming in canals. Rats swimming in the canals. Everything. It just the whole place looks like it smells because everything is damp and moldy. And yeah, it honestly, even just with the little bits of rats and and the emptiness, it reminded me. Those sequences reminded me of like a similar time period, but uh, uh, Herzog's Nosferatu, like the mm-hmm. shots of of the village, like in the plague. Yes, yeah. It's very quarantine central. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while it looks like the police officer didn't do any good, um, he actually did. John manages to get a hold of his wife. Um, they call him or he calls them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it turns out that she is actually in, in England with her son. Everything is fine. And she's going to return to Venice to be with him. And John's like, what the heck? I just saw you out on the canal. What's going on with these crazy broads here? <laughs> <laughs> 
And you're like, what the heck? It's an interesting choice for Donald Sutherland to channel Joey Tomatoes and Rodney Dangerfield, but he does. And it's magnificent. And with that toupee. (laughs) And with the toupee. It's magnificent. Uh, So Laura is returning. So John now feels guilty over blaming the sisters. He goes to find them. It turns out that one of them was arrested. And is sitting at a, the Heather, the blind one, is sitting at a fucking jail cell and has no idea what's going on. Oh, poor Heather. Poor Heather. Uh, so John walks her back, walks them back to the hotel, comes in for a drink of water. Uh, Heather starts to flip out. She has some kind of a vision, and it's not going well. She has like an epileptic fit, basically. John has had enough, and he leaves. Meanwhile, Laura has arrived. And, you know, where's John? Oh, he's at the police station. No, he's with the sisters, blah, blah, blah. It's like, where you know, they can't find each other, basically. Laura makes her way to the hotel. And Heather is saying, is screaming, like, don't let him leave. Go get him. Don't let him leave. Mm. Laura, you know, the sister, uh, Wendy and Laura go outside, but they can't find him. No one can find him. He, meanwhile, is chasing this small figure in a red coat. Uh, Christine, when she died, was wearing a red raincoat. And John has repeatedly seen this small figure in a rain red coat, like disappearing around corners, sort of in the far off in the alleyways. And he's chasing the figure. He thinks it's a child who's in distress. Child is crying. It's very evocative of his daughter in the red. Yes. He, um, that she drowned him. Yeah. So he doesn't come out and say, like, that he thinks it could be his daughter, but you know that somewhere he's having those thoughts, given yep. everything that's happened with Laura and the sisters. Um, so he chases the figure, finally gets her into a dead end, locks the gate behind them so no one can, so the figure can't get out, no one can get in. Um, and lo and behold, the figure turns around, and it's a not a child at all. It is a fully grown woman, a dwarf who then chops John in the neck. (laughs) And John dies in that dark alleyway. As he's laying there dying, bleeding out and twitching and all of that, we see scenes from his life. Um, It's the whole, like, your life passing before your eyes. He sees scenes that only occurred a few seconds ago. He sees his daughter. He sees... You know, uh, his wife, all of the things that we've seen in the film play before his eyes and he dies. The film ends uh, with Laura and the sisters on that barge again. And we realize that what John had seen was a vision of his own funeral, basically. Oh, Um, Laura and Johnny and Heather and Wendy are on the barge and Laura smiles. That's the end of the film. Uh, I don't think I even caught Laura's smile at the end, actually, to be honest. It's not a big one, but she's smiling. Uh, Laura, I'm so happy she made it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so nervous. (laughs) Yeah, this film, you need to watch it more than once. Absolutely, because... Like I said, the editing and there are flash forwards, flashbacks, echoes, like gestures are mirrored. You know, things from the beginning are mirrored later on. Yeah. It's just full of symbolism and metaphors and what the fuckery. 
The thing you said about time really struck me, about how time in the movie is very strange, and they do strange things with it in editing. Um, because I was thinking of that church sequence and how weirdly that was shot. Which also, um, pop-up video Jason also said that uh, Donald Sutherland did his own stunts in that sequence. He did is, do his own which stunts. Which is terrifying. Because his stuntman thought it was too dangerous and he wouldn't do it. So he did it instead! Yeah. Literally hung from a rope and went, uh, 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 oh, oh, for, for 14 minutes. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's just weird, I, I was trying to think, it wasn't just that sequence, there were a few others that really struck me as like, I was completely unaware of the sense of time that was happening. It was almost like they were obliterating the concept of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even moments of disconnect, like the phone call between John and Laura when when Laura call, is talking to John from um, the school mm-hmm. in England, the boarding school or the hospital, wherever she's at, where she's talking with him. Uh, both of them are constantly talking over each other and there's just like kind of an impossibility to communicate, but they mm-hmm. hear each other, but they also are unable to. It's really interesting how they like the intentional disjointing that happens in this film yes i think it, it's it throws the viewer off um i mean even on a basic level there's a lot of italian spoken in this movie and there are no subtitles there was so, so much time spent during this film for me was just thinking god damn it i wish i spoke italian so i would have <laughs> any clue what is happening but that also really helps aid that sense of foreboding and mystery of like um like like that the little detective man that he speaks to mm-hmm. who apparently pop-up video also told me that he um barely spoke any english so he was just reading his lines and then bringing his own like a Italianist just to that character that yeah he didn't he had like no idea what he was saying basically yeah and that that really that sense of disconnect between them and that scene becomes so real because like it's so apparent John is really trying to um seek help but he also doesn't know what for because how do you describe this like doppelganger vision and go to the police with that and then the policeman who'd barely who doesn't speak English is trying to understand what he's even talking about let alone the significance of it or what he wants out of it mm-hmm. um but when he's also there's the way it's shot so this detective is always shot kind of ominously like he knows more than is going on and yes. when you see him looking out and seeing Wendy and heather as they're being described but he just doesn't even acknowledge them mm-hmm like it's there's a constant sense of what the fuck is happening and that language disconnect too just adds to that sense of of helplessness absolutely yeah i think it's a very disorienting film without like you know flashing lights in your face like it it disorients yeah. in a very subtle kind of way but it all adds up and just the whole movie feels so ominous you know, yeah. The only other movie I that I can recall really seeing using that language sort of effect to disorient the viewer is um, The Shrine, which I don't know oh, if you've ever... the is that the one with Iceman's twin brother? Yes, yeah, and the statue yeah. in the woods and all of that, which I really like that. I don't know if it's actually good, but in my memory, I've really liked that movie a lot. Yeah, I remember liking it. Yeah. It's and... the three people, and they go and they find that spooky shrine and... Yes, three Americans end up in Poland countryside or something like that. And um, 
while they're there, you know, the locals are just carrying on and having a lot of conversations in their native language and they don't give any subtitles. Mm -hmm. And it just, it really is, it's, it's terrifying to feel that, to feel helpless like that. Yeah. Take away an iPhone and, yeah, where's my babble fish? (laughs) 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 Is that an app yet? That should be. It should be, right? Babble fish. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But early on in the movie, early ish on, John says, um, you know, nothing is as it seems. Mm, And that mm -hmm. plays out throughout the entire film is you don't know because you don't know where it's going. You don't know what's happening. It's not quite a ghost story. Like, John has seen this figure in the red coat. And so you're like, is that the daughter? Is it, you know, it's, but it it doesn't present itself as any one thing. It's not a haunted house movie. It's not necessarily a ghost movie. So as a viewer, you don't know where it's going to go. So you're looking for clues everywhere. And you also, when you see all these characters, you don't know who you can trust. Everybody seems fucking sinister. Mm-hmm. With the exception even, of Laura, Laura is perfect, but everybody Laura's else... perfect, but even still, when he sees her, the right. image yeah. of her, yeah, like or that vision of her, then you begin to wonder what the fuck is like. Is she? I because I don't know about you. I look for witch. Uh, listen, I look for gay shit everywhere because there's gay yeah. shit everywhere. <laughs> I look for witches everywhere. It's just like cruising. The gays and the witches are in the woods. You just gotta look for them. But, right. Like, so I was looking for some major witch vibes because I was getting them hardcore from yeah. Wendy and Heather. Yes. Uh, and then when Laura gets in, I was like, is that the twist that Stacy didn't want me to know? Like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that there's witch shit in this movie? <laughs> like, right. is she in a coven with these women now? Well, yeah, when you when he sees them, they are on a black barge. They're all dressed in, I mean, she's in, it turns out she's in mourning clothes. Yeah. But you don't but they know look that. like witches floating by in that coven. Yeah, you don't, the first time you see them, you have no idea. And it's super sinister. And there's a shot of the sisters that is... A total non sequitur. We have no idea what they're what's going on. But the there's Suspiria a shot of scene. The, the scene where they're yeah, where they're laughing. Yes. There's just a quick shot of the two sisters in their room laughing over something and we have no idea what it is. They're holding and they have they have these um in their hotel rooms, they have these cherished photos of their family members. And um they're holding like we we get this sense that there is a much deeper story about these family members because the photos are given so much attention and importance anytime you're in the room with them uh but you never learn anything from that but in that scene they're clutching one of the photos and just laugh 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 laughing and you Mm -hmm. feel as a viewer you feel like like i got major i mean in general i got major suspiria vibes from this movie 2018 suspiria Mm -hmm. like i feel like i feel like this is definitely the drab quality of it um, with splashes of red yeah absolutely uh-huh. the the uh i mean even actually i feel like luca is very inspired by this movie because even um like call me by your name and the obsession with like uh, ancient statuary and stuff <laughs> like yeah. it feels very call me by your name and suspiria in those respects but um it reminded me so much of just those the witches laughing in the room with the policemen Mm -hmm. um or like tanner's laugh like body laugh like it's very ominous yet you but it's just because you get these glimpses and random cuts into time of people's lives disconnected from everything else you're trying to 
put some closure there and and line it up in a story. Yeah, the we the viewers are trying to assign meaning to like everything in this film. Especially you even do it after you've already seen it one time because then you realize how many layers there are and how yeah. much symbolism there is in all of that. But yeah, we don't know why they're laughing. Are they a couple of doddering old tourists who are really trying to help Laura find peace? Or is there something more sinister? Are they frauds? Yeah, they as con John artists? suspects, are they con artists? Are they are, witches? <laughs> are they the fucking serial killer? Like, we have no yeah. idea at this point. It doesn't help that, like, a lot of attention is even brought to, um, for me, the witch vibes with, uh, it, Wendy is the not blind, not psychic. Right, right? yeah, yeah. Wendy has this brooch that's like, it's like a mermaid or a crescent moon mm-hmm. woman or something, and it's covered in jewels, and, like, if this is a giallo, you know she's going to be, like, the coven witch killer. Like, right. this is an Argento <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah, you, the, you... She's stabbing people with that pin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and even when she bumps in, when she they're walking past and they bump into Laura in the restaurant, I was like, and they make a big visual point of that brooch. I was like, oh, no, the, the pin must have stabbed her or cut her for a second because I see her adjusting her head or something now. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to get it or she's going to be in the coven. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. so much, um, so much, not not disinformation isn't the right word, but there's so much um, dis, whatever that term is. <laughs> it's disorienting, you know? Yeah, and it's... so you're you're looking for all of this meaning and wondering, yeah, who's the villain? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then the end comes and it is so out of the blue and so like, random. That's it? <laughs> yeah. And like he says, oh, God, what a bloody silly way to die. Like... It's like no matter how paranoid you are and whether you're running towards death or running away from it or whatever, it's coming for all of us. Like it's inevitable, this end, and it might be something completely mundane and silly. Mm-hmm. And as a viewer, it's like it's shocking because let's face it, it's shocking. I love mm-hmm. that she's just credited as the dwarf. Listen, dwarf, life comes at you like a murderous dwarf in a little red overcoat. Mm-hmm. It's true. Like, you have no idea. But also, John never listened to the signs. He never trusted his own intuition. Except, you know, falsely yeah. with Laura on the barge. Well, and how was he to know, too? Especially, like, right. as Wendy and Heather point out, he doesn't know how to use it. Right. Like this this power second sight that he has. And so and it, 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 that's why this like um, this sort of uh, misdirection, that's the word I was looking for, the misdirection that they're making like really drops you into John's headspace and psyche mm-hmm. because you're trying to find the clues in his sight, in his sights and visions right. just the same as he is. But you have no idea what it means just the same as he does. Right. Or does not. It's. Yeah. How would you ever expect that the little red purse, little red coat running around that looks just like your drowned, recently drowned daughter that you're still grieving is actually Esther from Orphan and she's gonna kill (laughs) you. Yeah, she's gonna chop you right in the neck. Nothing in this movie says murderous dwarf until she literally turns around from facing a corner just like in the motherfucking Blair Witch Project, Mm -hmm. turns the fuck around and then cuts you right in the neck and then yeah. laughs because she's Esther the murderer. 
Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we are completely echoing John, who's also like, what? (laughs) 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 It's so wonderful. I love this movie so much. It was so so great. And it's uh, that's what just shocks me is how how much I expected this twist to be absolutely bonkers this shock ending or whatever and it is but it also is just such a credit that it still works so well despite being so insane and out of the blue and Mm -hmm. unexpected and not at all in line with the rest of the movie and yet it completely is (laughs) right yeah that's the thing is also on repeat viewings even though you know that that's the ending it doesn't like affect the rest of the film do you know what i mean you're not like because there are no clues to look for as far as her. Like, we see dead bodies. We see them pull a woman's body out of the canal. We see that there's been someone has been killed in an apartment. We hear someone get killed when John and Laura are, like, lost in the dark alleyways that one night when they go out to dinner. That, okay. That was when it became a horror film for me. Mm-hmm. Because the movie is, like, pretty chill. And yeah. just, like mundane yeah and then that sequence when they're going out they're they kind of they get disoriented in the canals because like you said everything it just becomes the same and it's just a maze of of watery tunnels alleys yeah um and then they hear this awful like gasp or scream or something and they see a person in red run by and a person popping their head on a window in terror you have no idea what's going on the sense of of simultaneous like claustrophobia and agoraphobia and like jack the ripper vibes it's just terrifying yeah and you know laura's like what was that and john says uh, it was a cat and you know neither of them believe it we don't believe cats it. don't fuck it i've been hearing cats throughout <laughs> yeah. this movie yeah cats but it's don't that, sound like that it's that sort of like anything to convince yourself that you're not actually in danger yeah you know it's terrifying. And then they turn a corner and they're back out on the street. Like they were so far removed from reality. And yet it was so close. It was literally right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So upsetting. And that, really- then you realize, oh my God, she was just running around them in those canals this entire time. Right. It's And why is she, oh my God. But also, good on you, sister, for bucking the trend and being, <laughs> being the female... Not to gender you, ma'am. The female murderous dwarf serial killer that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? And I love that, like, it's not solved. I love that it's not paid attention to, not only because it makes the ending so much more of a surprise, but also, like, she's just, she's like a fucking Michael Byers, man. She is just a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. That we it's... know nothing about. Even the de- the detective, when John is at his office, he doesn't say like, "Well, Mister Baxter, you know, we're all of our resources are going to find this killer right now." Like he doesn't bring it up. No. It's just like she is just a cloud that has descended over Venice and is yeah. just there. Yeah, she's a vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Now they're flushing. They're fishing a body out of a canal. Mm-hmm. Oh, now someone's saying the murders, but otherwise that. It's like what five or six times there's a reference to it. Yeah. (laughs) But she's background noise, which is also really terrifying. Not not in just like a oh I don't want to get my neck chopped in a dark alley, but just like 
death itself, which I think is more evident than ever in our lifetimes now, in many fucking lifetimes now, is that, like, death is always right there in your peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, you know, John is, tries to escape into his work. There's so much running in this movie. Everybody yes. in this movie runs. Yes. And it's like... Sometimes they're running away from something. Sometimes John is literally running to his doom. It's like no matter how much running you try to do, no matter how much you love your wife or your husband or you have sex or you get drunk or you, you know, just become a workaholic or whatever. It's like death is completely inevitable. The church is useless. Mm -hmm. And when it's your time, it's your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the running, the running is so upsetting in this film that's part of what uh i mean everything all the lack of information shared in across mm-hmm. every scene in this film is so is what helps create this sense of distress but like thinking of that running and thinking of how like that first scene that really scared me in the canals and the gasping and and you hear the running the running even when you're experiencing the main characters or characters doing the running you're not seeing it so much of it. You just hear the sound of frantic footsteps mm-hmm. uh, just running up and down stairs or on these cobblestones in these canals. But you, you see shadows in dark from beyond dark alleys running. You don't see them actually running. You just hear it. Yes. So yeah. you hear John running, running, running. And then you suddenly see Laura come running out from a canal. Yes. You don't even know who's running sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's one point where they're like together. They're trying to find their way back to the main street and like they're basically together and then they start running and all of this. And then eventually John comes around a corner and Laura is like a block away in the middle of a bridge. Yeah, it's like a Scooby-Doo hallway. She's <laughs> yeah. all the way at the other end. Yeah. And it's like that's part of the film, too. It's like like you mentioned the phone call and how they're talking over each other. and all. And it's like people... Even being intimate with each other and all of that, it's like people trying to communicate with one another and not being able to connect. Like, Mm -hmm. Laura desperately wants to be... Like, even though Heather, the psychic, is like, I don't like to do, like, seances and summon these spirits back from the dead and, you know, like, that's not my bag, lady. But Laura, like, desperately wants to communicate with her daughter. The two of them try to communicate with each other. They try to communicate with the the headmaster at Johnny's school. And there's like just people going, hello, hello, hello. Like yes. they can't they can't connect. Yes. Know? Even even <laughs> I did love the headmaster. I was very that was one of the specific moments I was so confused on about. I was like, someone should make a movie of people just doing telephone calls, but nobody can actually connect with each other. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, that that he gets the call from the boarding school and it, like you said, it's hello, hello, hello. But it's strange because the, the professor at the boarding school, the headmaster is clearly able to hear John, but John is talking to an operator, but hearing what he's saying. And it just feels so weirdly edited, Mm -hmm. but it is this complete. And then they finally begin speaking to each other, but the headmaster is unable to actually get past his Britishisms and, and being proper. (laughs) Yeah. And he's yeah. unable to convey the important information these parents need to know. So his wife or the headmistress, I don't know, just grabs the phone from him and just says the information that he doesn't know how to say. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different forms of miscommunication, too, uh, happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I do have to say what really, 
I think it would almost be like there's just the perfect amount because this movie is expertly crafted by Nick Reed, um, who R.I.P. But like just the perfect amount of um, of disconnection and and misinformation and misdirection. And I think what really cements this so it works so that you don't feel completely lost is the fact that they don't go full hereditary, like full Gabriel Byrne and Tony Collette with yes. John and Laura. That like John and Laura really are there to help each other. They really love each other. Um, and they have what feels, I mean, despite the fact that she is a million times hotter than anybody on this planet could ever aspire to be, (laughs) (laughs) uh, including John in all his Twinkie glory, like they really feel very authentic. I hate that word, but they really feel very authentic as a couple that cares about each other. And I, I think that is so aided by the wild, 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 and yet completely real, um, just bathroom scene. Mm-hmm. It all starts with that bathroom scene. She's taking a bath. He's brushing his teeth. They're both naked. They spend pretty much that whole evening naked, just hanging out in their room. It's like pretty non-sexual until it turns into a full-on love scene, a crazy love scene edited mm-hmm. against just their daily lives. And it edited was... against the post-coitus. This yes. I told you yesterday when I said, like, I like the sex scene in it. It's like, I, so nice! It's so nice. And I think what shocks me about it is this is... I mean, we've all seen a million sex scenes in films, right? Of varying quality. And this one, to me, is the only one, aside from the A number one example, which is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, thank you. That actually shows a couple achieving intimacy. And I don't mean like they have sex. I mean like these are two people who are clearly in love with each other, who are comfortable in their own bodies with each other's bodies. And there's a level of intimacy that's really beautiful. And I don't I've never seen anything remotely approach it in straight sex scenes. No, the ever the. It like it's left me speechless. Um, I, I mean, it says a lot, and it's also very strange to say the sex scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the combination really of that just totally mundane bathroom scene, and then the sex scene. But um, it's one of the best sex scenes I've ever seen in a film. Mm-hmm. It is so <laughs> well shot and vulnerable and sweet, and yeah. It just really cements just the sense of who these people are and how boring but passionate but real they are. Like, it it feels very real. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, and this echoes something you've said in, a, in our last listener question, Bonanza, addressing soundtracks. <laughs> I... <laughs> The the flute was a little much. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I couldn't it's... get that little Madame Ponder earworm out of my brain. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this flute is out of control. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, I think sometimes the soundtrack to this, the score really works. And sometimes it's just a little too floral. 
I mean, maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire ruined me, and I just don't think anything needs a score anymore. Right, yeah, exactly. Because I was like, this movie could easily not have one at all, and it'd be fine. Yeah, I am very much of the less is more. I don't really need any kind of music in a movie at all. Yeah, like me. Even the even the best movies, I'm like, well, okay, you're still like extra. Yeah, let's watch Suspiria without any music. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. But like honestly, the, the I mean, maybe just keep Suspiria the the song in the beginning, and then. Well, could you? I mean, I love that song, but imagine that film if the only music that you heard was folk. Oh, uh, and then the rest whether of in the... rehearsal or performance or whatever, and the rest of it was like anything that's non diegetic just doesn't exist. And the intro could just be the mother's breathing. That uh-huh. becomes the score. Yeah, I'm no movie ever needs for... music except I'm for here like for it. Romain Michelle. Keep that music, but any other <laughs> right. movie does, doesn't need music. Um, but and and to that, I mean to that end, like how much more I'd be fascinated to just see a cut of what it would what it would be like to see that love scene without any sound, without I mean, without score, where it's just mm-hmm. the sounds of them. Like it would make it so much more real and mundane versus mm-hmm. the like seventies. Flute just goes throughout the whole thing. Like you said, yes, it's very floral. Yeah, yeah, but I like yeah the bathroom scene or like beforehand where she's kind of teasing him about his love handles and he's checking out his little tiny poochy love handle. Just them hanging out naked, being vulnerable with each other. He's he's naked, especially like all day. He does some work while he's naked, and the maid walks in. Um, but yeah, and then while they're actually having sex, it's intercut with shots of them getting dressed afterwards. Mm-hmm. And just the intimacy even continues there where they like kind of glance at each other through the doorway and all that. And I'm like, I can't believe this, you know, this is a straight movie. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe I care about these heterosexuals uh, and love making. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's Absolutely. True. Yeah, where I'm like, what a good couple. <laughs> Yeah, but like, I, I mean, poor, if you haven't listened to our Portrait of a Lady on Fire episode, you should. If you haven't watched it yet, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, but that's the only movie besides this one that achieves, like, actual intimacy between characters, I think. Yeah. For me, um, for me, Call, Call Me By Your Name comes really close, but then they cut away from everything. <laughs> mm. But it, the physical choreography of that intimacy really works for me. Um but yeah, I think Portrait is definitely the only one that is that really t- fully gets it and goes to that place with sex too, and yeah, and, and doesn't act. I mean, has a sex scene, but not not what you're expecting. Not at all what you're expecting. And then and this, I'm still just shocked that this '70s. Well, I mean '79, but like this late '73. Sev- oh, I thought it was '79. No. Why am I always off on years on every all information? But I don't this know. this uh early mid 70s sex scene between two consenting heterosexuals that this would go down in the annals of i know (laughs) memorable sex scenes for me wow that i like that i i mean i said yesterday like i said i like the sex scene and i didn't want to sound like a pervert but i'm like it's a it's really i mean i am a pervert (laughs) but I'm not always pervert presenting. How's that? That's true. That's true. But, um, you know, like just the whole, the before and the after and the during, like it's just a wonderful, wonderful sequence. Yeah. Sure. And, and a lesser, I mean, it's just a testament, a lesser director, a more misogynist director who would probably kill Laura in this film. 
um, would not allow or even be thoughtful enough to include this kind of relationship. It would just be a dread piece, the total dread piece, where the, the, the couple hates each other and they're traumatized over the death of their child and they keep re-traumatizing each other over it. And, yeah. then, and then Laura gets killed by uh, not a murderous Esther dwarf, but some aggro dude, and then it's over. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it makes the the moment where John gets fed up because Laura keeps like, oh, no, the sisters are great. Christine's happy. We're all great. And he gets fed up with it. Um, And he snaps at her. Mm -hmm. And it's shocking because they are so loving with each other and obviously care about each other through the entire film. Like, they're always holding hands and just the way they look at each other. Like, Mm -hmm. they, you know, these two actors have real chemistry and play off of each other really well. And yeah. so when he finally does kind of snap at her a little bit, it's like, oh, how, no, don't be me. No. Yeah, and they're a team. They're a team. And then, yeah. and then, but what's nice too, that is very thoughtful and also hopeful, I would hope realistic, is that he, I think he apologizes after that. And they kind of resume um, th- their relationship before that. They kind of go back to a place of being more grounded right. and centered with each other. And he allows her to do it. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not even really about allowing her, but he's, like, he puts out his consent in her being part of this. Right. Uh, yes. And and then even later, he, like, regrets that he's, like, talks about, oh, they had a row and he wished he they hadn't. And, like, they just feel yeah. so real. It's just such a nice depiction of a relationship. And, yes, it's absolutely aided by her turtleneck and her shoulder bumps, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's man. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It's and it's a really it's a refreshing nice. it's a refreshing look at a grieving couple too. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. When what I'm used to is is more of the Aster variety. <laughs> where people yes. are just yes. toxic. People destroy destroy each other and themselves. Yeah. Basically. Granted These... I still love that because in oh, Aster's for sure. case it's a it's a path to, to feminist agency. But <laughs> Right, yes. But here I like these two trying to still make a go of it. Yeah, basically. yeah. And it's really... just all the more all the more sad when it yeah. ends the way it does. Yeah. But man, at least she gets to smile at the end. And at least she gets she gets a, a couple new sisters or aunties for This for, is true. For little Johnny. <laughs> yeah. When she makes it see this is the thing is like playing with the time is like she when he runs off at the end and she's following him, she gets to the locked gate. And she can't get in. Mm-hmm. And when she reaches her arm through and yells, darlings. Mm-hmm. It's like she already knows that he's going to die. Like, I think that's why she smiles is I think she has some inkling that John and Christine are together now. Oh. And I think that gives her comfort. Like, I think. and Well, and she, the fact that, that she knows that they're not actually gone. Right. Because she knows there's an afterlife in this story, at least. Right. Yeah. And that and it like... comes not from the church. The church isn't a help. They're not really just been when, you know, the bishop of the church that John is restoring asks if she's a Christian. Um, <laughs> she says, well, I'm kind to animals and children. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. kind to animals and children. <laughs> I love yeah. that answer. It's just so much yeah. about her, though, too. Seriously. Yes. She's yeah. a good person. She just doesn't subscribe to anything. Right. And then she asked John, like, why did he ask me that? He's like, because you kissed his ring. Like, what are <laughs> yeah, you what's doing? wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but even like that bishop is um i think it's it's really crucial when uh john is having his donald sutherland stunt sequence hanging from that rope after <laughs> after the plank fell at him the glass shattered he the ropes break he's hanging from the ceiling of this cathedral in venice um the bishop is just standing down there doing nothing mm-hmm. he can't help he he's just and then there and there is a similar sense of foreboding with the bishop, sort of like I mean, partially with language barrier, partially within parallel to that detective and how you don't know what the detective is up to just because of how he's shot. Um, you see the bishop sitting in with a woman who's receiving prayer, and it's like, what is happening? What is going mm-hmm. on? But it's all just like, oh, this is all just professional, day to day, ho hum, whatever. He's just right. working a job just like the detective. But really, it's like, it's just these two fucking weirdo cult tourist witch sisters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that are the ones that have the insight. It just happens to be completely up to whatever the ether tells them and without answers. And mm-hmm. and and um, life is a mystery. Everyone must stand alone. I you know, you I hear you call my name. <laughs> It feels like a black turtleneck <laughs> and, a, and a tweed shoulder bump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, none of us have any answers, right? Well. So. I mean, we have answers to listener questions. <laughs> oh! But that's about it. <laughs> well, speaking of... Man, I love Don't Look Now. Um, oh, thank God. I mean, absolutely every, loved it. all these times, I will say that I'm very, I'm very proud of you. Because Aww. all of these, well, all of these movies that I love, that I say, like, you should watch this. I mean, like, obviously, I have an inkling that you're going to like these things. But there's always that little sliver that's like, what if Anthony doesn't like this? Well, every, I mean, every now and then we don't completely connect on a thing. Right. But, I mean, over things that, like, don't, to me, don't... I don't care if you don't like Hagazusa. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Hagazusa yeah. doesn't... I like Hagazusa, but it's not, like, important to me, I guess. Yeah. Me, but if we watched... Por- I will admit, you... Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is one oh. that I feel like if, if you were, like... Mm, <laughs> it's over. I don't know. Yeah. If you were, like, you know, I see why you like it. But I don't know. Well, that's like we've always said. Imagine if we didn't feel the same way about Suspiria when we saw it. Yeah. We would have, third episode would have been the last one. Yeah. Who would we have? I wouldn't even know how you feel about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't talk to you anymore. So. <laughs> like, remember when I had that podcast for 20 minutes? Yeah, we did an episode about the Halloween trailer and that was it. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. That was it. So. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear you like that. I hope that, especially now that just, you know, world vibes are so weird and moods are weird. I had a feeling this one would click with you. Oh, it's the mood I am here for. This is the only, I mean, this is, this track of whatever this uh, oeuvre of film we've been watching, (laughs) this is all I want to be watching. I love it. Yeah, uh, weirdly comforting in its acknowledgement of uncertainty. So, so thank you once again, Stacy, for decorating my life. With that oh, said, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> do we? Ha- oh, that's another R.I.P. Um, with that said, Stacy, do we have a listener question today? 
Yeah, yeah, we do. Wow, wow. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Uh, the these questions, I guess, come from Mike M, who's a very supportive listener. Mike is yes, always Mike commenting M. on things. I like it when people leave comments and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's nice. nice. It's nice to uh, engage or know what people are thinking of our bullshit. Yeah, it helps. It helps. Um, do you think that casting an A-list actor can adversely affect a horror film in terms of risk and graphicness? Should studios avoid doing so? And Mike specifically cited the Tom Cruise version of The Mummy, <laughs> which I did not see. You didn't? <laughs> surprise, surprise. I don't think anyone saw it, to be fair. Yeah, no, just Mike M. He's, that's the one ticket that they sold. <laughs> and listen, I mean, I would have... I was almost willing to give it a, sh- a, a chance, as the French Canadians <laughs> say, um, just because of the presence of Sophia Boutella as, as right, the yeah. mummy herself. I love her. But man, what does that have to do? What does Tom Cruise in an airplane have to do with the mummy? And I, you know, uh, me, am I opposed to Tom Cruise as an actor? I'm not. I don't no. specifically seek out Tom Cruise things. I know that if, look, if people can fucking give Elizabeth Moss a pass, then I suppose you can give Tom Cruise a pass. Am I right or am I right? Uh, yeah, I would say that does that. Uh, I mean, yes, also Juliette Lewis, but not Kirstie Alley because she's on the Trump train. Yeah, if once you get on the Trump train, forget it. But I mean, yeah. the the side. I will say Tom Cruise is obviously more of a public figure in the world of Scientology. He's higher on their fucking space pyramid or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are they going to come after it's me a now? Theme park. <laughs> yeah, the space yeah. pyramid. Tom Cruise yeah, so- is at the top of it. So I know that, like, Elizabeth Moss doesn't talk about it enough, but people are like, no, Tom Cruise. Oh, I don't go see his movies. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of Scientologists out there is what I'm saying. Well, thank you for apologizing for Tom Cruise. Um. Well, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. He, I mean, if I don't say it, who will? The logic, no, that but, absolutely does track, though. That is true. I think the logic tracks. And also Tom Cruise has just been around forever. I think he's actually a good actor. Here's the thing. I am not a big Tom Cruise fan. I love watching him get shot in the head over and over and over <laughs> and over in Live, Laugh, Love, Die, Repeat, starring Emily... Um, Emily Blunt's arms. Emily Blunt's arms. Her beefy Cassandra and Assassin's Creed arms. I yeah. love it. I don't seek out Tom Cruise movies, you know, and I think it's interesting that he transitioned to an action star. Yes, a five foot like, five action star. In like his 40s or something. But, you know, I don't know. I, But I mean, am I, by all accounts, he's also like a really nice guy who does really nice things. And he a, was so smoking hot in Legend. Right. And um what's the one where they're all naked and that and the outsiders? <laughs> right, yeah. But like yeah. uh but I would say, I mean, when it's just talking about an A-list actor in a horror film, I mean Tom Cruise, the one time I have absolutely fucking been blown away by him and loved him was interview with the vampire. 
Mm-hmm. He is Lestat. Like, he... And I mean, it was to the point that Anne Rice was so outspoken against his casting when they announced it. And then when the movie came out, she loved it so much that she took out a four-page ad in Variety just to publish an essay <laughs> saying how wrong she was and how perfect Tom Cruise is as Lestat in that film. <laughs> like... Watching that movie again today, I've been meaning to rewatch Interview with the Vampire for a long time to see if it even works anymore. Uh, I have my doubts, but I'm sure even today, he's still absolutely the best part of that movie. Right. I would watch a Tom Cruise action movie before I'd willingly watch a The Rock action movie. (laughs) A The Rock? I said it. Do you, are, are The Rock and like Valerie Diesel on the same page for you? I love Vin Diesel. I do like I, Vin Diesel. <laughs> I love Vin Diesel. Mostly because he's a nerd. Yeah, that helps. And like Pitch Black and stuff. Like I think he's pretty one note, but yeah. I like his, I like that note. Where are yeah. you with, um? who's the one that's the other The Rock? Um, Dave Batista never seen it yeah i've only i've only seen guardians of the galaxy but i liked him he's like he looks like a great value the rock he is a (laughs) a great value the rock (laughs) (laughs) so how do you feel about a-list actors in horror um i do against it um, I'm, uh, there's so many extenuating circumstances. I'm generally against A-list actors in, like, you know. Just in general. <laughs> just in general, they make me less likely to want to see a thing. Because who are the A-list actors that I actually like and want to watch? They're not all terribly interesting well, I, to watch. I guess it also comes down to how do you qualify A-list, too. Right. Like, I mean, the people talking... whose their name is on the top of the poster, and they're the ones who, you know, would you go see it for that actor? But like, they can get the box office. W- so, I mean, I think I think some of the best horror films, or the more uh, to use that term that we all loathe, the most elevated horror films uh, are, are those prestige films that star a listers. So, like. What about Silence of the Lambs starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins? I mean, that's well, sure. list, right? Yeah, there's always there's always going to be exceptions. I mean, I think that's one. But it's a, it depends on A-list. Like, I think their A-list, when I look at Hereditary, is Toni Collette that's, A-list? That's the thing. To me, to me, she is. But is she really? No. I had that same question about, I mean, uh, Toni Collette has to be A-list. But I, I guess she, is she not? I mean, to me, yes, she's on the A-list of my heart. Um, right. And I have that same question on my list. I, I said, well, what about, I mean, I I think Ellen Burstyn is absolutely A-list, but I also feel like she's kind of never really gotten the full recognition she deserves as an actor throughout her career. So, like, right. what about her in The Exorcist? Is that A-list Ellen Burstyn? She was nominated for an Academy Award for that. Right. At the time. Then again, that's a different era. Are we talking nowadays? Yeah. Because also it depends what you do with that A-list actor. I mean, Scream is a prime example. They cast fucking Drew Barrymore, who at the time was absolutely A-list. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say to yourself, what? Oh, my God. Drew Barrymore in a movie? What? <laughs> They're never going to kill her. Joey Tomatoes, two splats down. <laughs> and then Joey Tomato actually goes to the movies. 
and watches it. And the next thing you know, Drew Barrymore's guts are all over the backyard. And you say, boy, do I feel like a nincompoop. I like that every now and then he, he temporarily <laughs> changes his name to Singular Tomato. <laughs> Depending on his mood about the film. Depending on the mood. That's right, you know. Well, it's a, it's like a nickname. <laughs> Joey Tomato. Yeah. <laughs> You know how people shorten their names. Dave is short for David. Joey Tomato is short for Joey Tomato. <laughs> you know. Thanks for this question, Mike M. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, but I think it, so it, it it depends. It depends. There are very few A-listers I care about. Am I gonna I mean Sometimes, though, I might be interested. I was going to say something. Never mind. But what? I mean, like, uh, <laughs> I was going to use Meryl Streep as an example. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're I was, not a Meryl fan. Like, but would I be interested if they, but if they did cast Meryl Streep in a horror film, I would not expect her guts to end up all over the backyard. You know what I mean? <laughs> Drew Barrymore is Casey Becker in Scream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just watching a scary movie. <laughs> the killer's like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I have doubts. <laughs> Meryl Streep as Mrs. Doubtfire as Casey Becker in Scream. Scream 5. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. And I don't want to be like, I can't give an answer to this. Too many variables. But there are a lot of variables. I mean, I guess it depends on the actor also. Maybe they look at this kind of thing as fun and they want their guts all over the backyard. Like sometimes people are like, yeah, I loved it. They cut my head off in the movie and it was so fun. Yeah. So maybe there's some A-lister out there who doesn't take themselves completely seriously. And that Angelina Jolie... She would never, her head would never get cut off. Never. She would be cutting off the heads. Right. But she, she would just never take, cut off She head. takes herself too seriously. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know. You know. Like when she did blackface. <laughs> Nobody like ever talks about black- it. No one ever brings that up, right? <laughs> no one's ever like, hey, do you remember when Angelina Jolie did blackface <laughs> not even like 10 years ago? <laughs> Oh, boy. Everyone got up in arms about Justin Trudeau, but we never talk about Angelina Jolie doing it. It's true. In a wide release film. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but I think it depends on the filmmaker also. Yes. Like, what can you expect from them? Yes. Yeah, like Jonathan Demme casting two major stars to make a a horror thriller, psychological thriller, procedural piece. Uh, is going to turn out very differently than whatever hack puts Tom Cruise in the mummy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a bad movie. And is that because it's Tom Cruise? Like, is that because Tom Cruise was like, I, I, don't, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But yeah. Was he like, I have to kill the mummy or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> that's his line. <laughs> that's his exact line reading. I gotta kill the mummy. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and same with uh, the shitty Van Helsing with um, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. I guess he's A-list, probably. Yeah. Was Kate Beckinsale considered A-list? I don't know. I don't. 
I don't think I she's don't think Layla. so. She's like, no. I mean, she's like a maybe a step below Mini Driver, who's like a B, a mid B. First of all, that's very generous to Mini Driver. I Second love of all, Mini Driver. I think... She's A-list in my heart. I mean, in your 1996 heart, maybe. Yes. I think Kate Beckinsale, because she was in a franchise, I think I would put her... Like, to me, A-list and all that is about box office and, like, prestige pictures and who can open a film. Yeah. Oh, so... That's, that's what that's about. It's not about in terms of, like, ability, because otherwise, you know... I don't know. I would have so many, like, uh... so Mila Jovovich is absolutely. I mean, well, obviously she's a list then. Um, I mean, but if you're talking like returns and stuff in franchise, I mean, Resident Evil. I mean, she's top of her game with that. I mean, the movies are <laughs> questionable. There's a there's a difference though, because is that about the films or is that about her? It is about, it is Let's Watch Miliovich put on outfits and kill things. Yes. I think to... It's, it's her. To a portion of the audience, I don't think, you know, average moviegoer cares about her at all. Maybe, maybe, but I mean, she is the only female action star today. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but Charlize. I mean, but what? Like ultraviolet? Like, come oh, on, Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, otherwise that would <laughs> Listen, I love ultraviolet. It's terrible, but I. It's just you have to you have to look at like a list. I guess I go by I go by blind items in gossip, right? Where they say like this a list person likes it up the butt or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be like, okay, who's a list Mm -hmm. versus b list versus c list? Yeah, like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are a list. Yes. Meryl Streep is A-list. Yes. Uh, The Rock is A-list. That's weird. Anybody who everybody knows is going to be A-list. This is the thing. You know. People, I mean, you have like A-list, and then you have the nebulous area of, oh yeah, famous, which is like where I say, oh, uh, you know who was in that? Uh, Jane Smith. And you say, who's Jane Smith? And I say, she was in that other thing with the thing and the thing. And you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't know her right away. She's not. A- Jane Smith is not A-list. But Tony Collette and Ellen Burstyn and Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster is absolutely Jody Jodie Foster is A-list. I mean, she's been A-list Maybe Tony Collette. I think Tony Collette In the is, last few years, In the maybe. collective consciousness she's getting there. But, like, I would also say, like, us, I'd say Lupita Nyong'o is absolutely A-list. But of course. I feel like the rest, I think in a similar way to Tony Collette, the rest of the culture has taken their sweet fucking time figuring that out. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. And and and, and not just for those two, but for the entirety of Ellen Burstyn's career. <laughs> people are still figuring that out, that she's A-list. Yeah. Some people like Ellen Burstyn are almost more character actors who take their character actorness to leading roles like Jenna Rollins or somebody like that yeah. who's like actually really capable and is an incredible character actor but isn't relegated to character actor sized roles so they there's can lead a picture there's another one speaking of Jenna Rollins um skeleton key <laughs> it, right right was, is kate was kate hudson ever a list <laughs> 
Does she? I think for a brief window, she I think when that was. came out, she was a list, right? She was in everything because yeah. she was doing those like how to how to kill Matthew how McConaughey to... in a, in eight days or less or whatever. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I mean, like, and would we say Orphan is not it? Was Vera Farmiga? No, she's not a list, right? I mean, she, to me, she's though, still not. She's a list. Just because you like her doesn't. Mean, this is not the a list of our hearts. But I feel like she's. Is Peter no. Sarsgaard a list? No. The people who are a list are the ones who are going to be talked about in Us magazine, oh, and okay. Missy Housewife knows who they are. Okay. Missy Housewife is a big Jane Smith fan. No. (laughs) Well, I have a huge disconnect on what A-list actually is. I feel like there's popular A-list and then there's like critical A-list. Right. Because like Judy Dench isn't going to be in Us Weekly. Well, I don't mean... But does everybody know who Judy Dench is? It's not like this is a oh that's the only litmus test. Yeah, <laughs> are yeah, you in? That's true. Are you a star who's just like <laughs> us? <laughs> and not everybody who's in us magazine is a list. Yeah. But I mean, there's a. I think a list is a, like like actual a list. I think is much smaller than we think it is. So okay, I'm gonna. Keep and it comes questions. and goes. And I think it comes and goes that someone who's a list in the '80s probably wouldn't be a list now. Yeah. Know? Was Blake Lively a list when she did The Shallows? No. Okay. But Ryan Reynolds is a list. But Ryan Reynolds is a list. Was. Um, this is like, who's, whose name on the poster is going to get the person who isn't a cinephile, who is like, what stars can get people in the theater? Yeah. Not because of the film. Mila Jovovich, people are going in there because of, sure, she's great in Resident Evil, but they're most, the people who go see Resident Evil are going to see Resident Evil. But then Jamie Lee is A-list. Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Because she kind of gets like a lifetime pass, right? She kind of gets a lifetime She's pass. She's in and True she, Lies. She, True Lies, I think, really bumped her up. Yeah. But also, and like Trading Places yeah, and stuff like that. Wanda. That really had, yeah, that stuff all had crossover appeal. Yeah, yeah she's A-list. What a confusing world we live in. <laughs> Yeah, that I, that who cares, you know? Honestly, like, I'm like, I feel like, though, in general, I'm more pro it than against it. I feel like, I mean, I feel like there's obviously there's the Van Helsings and the and the uh, the the mummies and the those movies that are trash that get made. But then I think but then there are the ones that just end up elevating horror. Where we do oh, yeah. we do get our Silence of the Lambs and our Exorcists and our Psychos and our um, the ones that really get attention and really shift the genre because they're being made on such a massive level are I mean even our interview with the vampires or our um, I, I think now our Hereditary or the or you know um, right and then what's really nice about this new trend uh, with with the the sort of prestige horror then now informing new today prestige horror like midsummer or um or the witch is like those films are now producing a-listers we're like i think florence right. Pugh is a-list now 
Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think a huge part of that is because Midsummer. Nobody knew who she was before Midsummer, really. Although they should have known right. after Lady Macbeth. And the same with Anya Taylor Joy. I just watched Emma the other night, and I was so bored, except for some amazing performances from uh, Miranda <laughs> Hart and Bill Nye. And oh my God, Mia Goth is incredible in it. But um, Anya Taylor Joy, she's full on a list now. Yeah. And that's great to see. I was like, I was so proud. I was like, God, remember when she was just that little weird girl in The Witch? Right. And now she's like a full on star. I'm so happy for her. So. Yeah. And I'm just saying my guidelines, that's just what works for me. That's just oh, how totally. I think of yeah. it. You know? No, and I think I think you're right on. It's it's just because it's but that's the thing is it's it's fluid and it's at the mysterious whimsy of the pop culture zeitgeist, which is like yeah. untraceable because it's just up to trend. Like it's Right. Uh yeah. Yeah. They're you know, not everybody can sustain for decades their a-list status you know yeah i mean will i go to my deathbed with fully embracing the not just the knowledge but the fact that Margot martindale is an a-lister yes <laughs> but will the rest of culture acknowledge that probably not right well you, we all have our own personal a-list yes you know you know denise richards right i in the general population. <laughs> well. <laughs> Perhaps not. Perhaps not. But who cares, you know? Yeah. So I would say, no, they shouldn't shy away from it. It depends on the material. And uh, it depends on the actor and what they're willing to do. Yeah. And on the filmmaker and their vision. And on the, yeah, that's, and on the filmmaker and their vision. Like, are you making I mean, a cheapo let's put lots of cgi in it and have a and get a box office uh, return or are you making a serious um piece of filmmaking that it, are you approaching this as an artist if they put the rock in a horror film the rock i feel is going to save the day he's gonna you know say I mean? a one-liner and he's gonna do his eyebrow right but ultimately, he's going to save the day. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Tony Collette, if you want to call her A-list, I'm not completely convinced she's actually A-list. But let's say she is. Then you have somebody like her. She cuts her own head off in her <laughs> So, there's a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances. Yeah, she, Tony Collette, the alternate cut, where she says a one-liner... And um, does her eyebrow and then murders the cult, <laughs> the pagan yes. cult. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Takes her family out to Chuck E. Cheese. Can you smell what I'm cooking? <laughs> Gabriel Byrne! <laughs> but not to put it past Tony Collette, who we all know is a brilliant fucking actor, and anyone who's seen her multiple personae in United States of Terror would know she could also play the rock if she needed to. This is true. If she needed or wanted to, she could. So, so there you go. I that need. I don't. Did we answer the question? I don't. Know. Who cares? <laughs> I think we, we sure just talked asked a lot. More questions. Yeah, we sure talked a lot. That's all that matters. But great, great question. Very thought provoking. Much like um, yes. that wonderful sex scene between Julie Christie and little Twinkie Tushy. Right. <laughs> it's his name now. No, it's not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we'll be back next week, probably. Probably, unless we're not. 
Unless we're not. You never know these days. <laughs> Who knows? So We're, we're, we're yeah. an essential... Podcasting is an essential business. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to... as I mean, always it is, right? <laughs> I so. wouldn't call this a front line by any means, but yeah, we're somewhere yeah. in the bottom back lines. Um, the bottom, bottom, bottom. The line. absolute bottom <laughs> line. Uh, right. Getting something done. Thank you for listening. Thank you for still uh, coming out. We will We will keep making content as long as we can. Um, slash as long as we have the minds and bodies to do this for y'all uh, yeah. and for ourselves because we need to also get through this and keep our own structure. So uh, keep reaching out to us. Keep commenting. Um, send us your comments and listener questions. Send us more listener questions at Gaylords at Gaylords of Darkness.com. You can send us to us on Twitter at Gaylords of D, on Instagram at Gaylords of Darkness, as well as on Facebook under that name too. Yeah. And uh, be safe and well. Be safe. Be well. Which is, uh, you know, sounds crazy, but that shit's real. You know, like when I, I got a pizza and the pizza delivery man, when we were finished and he was leaving, he said, stay safe. Oh. And I thought, what a world this is. <laughs> it's almost like that cannoli woman that just said, good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, all these, what are these, yeah, it's it's all very sobering, all of my interactions with people in the public. Yeah, every every salutation, every uh, uh, f- leaving salutation or goodbyeing is, is, it could be, you know, it could be it. Could be it. So be conscious of that. On put, that note. <laughs> put on a black turtleneck so in, when they find you, they can say, well, at least she looked great in that um, turtleneck and those tight tweeds. That's true. That desiccated corpse (laughs) really looked great in that turtleneck. (laughs) Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my god! Oh my god! Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Yeah!